Hello, Funky listeners, and welcome to another episode of Funk Radio. This is your host, Kyle. And this is your host, Peter. Hello, and welcome to Funk Radio. Yay. So, this week, uh, we thought it'd be fun to do another history of random technology that doesn't exist anymore in music uh, episode of Funk, because we enjoy doing those, because I don't know why. The history of tech is kind of fun for us I, I think we've had a lot of even not related to music we've had a lot of tech rants on the show <laughs> i think yeah. it's just something that we like and <clears throat> mixing yeah. that with music history is an interesting thing and yeah those those are we've done some good ones in that category i guess for sure so yeah so this week we're going to talk about the history of jukeboxes which for anyone under the age of like 45 probably have no idea or probably have never seen one in real life i don't know do they still have them in like like steak and shake and like those time kind of old-timey restaurants probably um or like ruby tuesdays or whatever you know those kind of 50s diners style things yeah i mean like ones that have kept it around for like the the novelty factor rather than it yeah yeah i'm i'm guessing in like those chains like that if they have them they probably don't work <laughs> but they're like you're right they're there for the aesthetic so for those of you that don't know what a jukebox is um a jukebox is a sort of partially automated music playing machine that's usually coin operated and it will play from a selection of self-contained media um back in the day this used to be records but then uh, eventually it would evolve to cds um, and classic, the classic style of jukebox that most people think of has buttons and it, which that have letters and numbers on them that correspond to like specific records. So they're like kind of label coded, I guess. And there's usually, oh, so like if you a, want to listen to like, uh, share whatever, I don't, I can't even, she made music, right? Or was, she... yes, she made music. <laughs> okay. Well, like I know so little about her career that <laughs> I mean, I know like why I mentioned her because of a conversation prior to us recording, but it's not worth explaining. It sounds like we need to do a funk episode on her. Maybe. Uh, but no, yeah, um, exactly. If you wanted to pick a share song, like, Oh, uh, what, whatever fucking song she did. Um, it's like, Oh, that's E five. So I'm going to push the E five buttons. Ex- exactly. And then it'll pull the record out and be like, okay, here we go. It probably didn't say that, but that was the most of it. <laughs> I just imagined like someone installed like some sort of like voice prompt to a jukebox that's like Alexa, but it's just like, okay, here we go. <laughs> um, exactly. And usually there would be some sort of either, whether it be like a book you could flip through or like labels on the machine itself, there would be a way to kind of show the selection of songs you could pick from. Um, and then you pick, you press the corresponding button, it, it selects the record or whatever, and plays the song for you. Um, so, so yeah, exactly. So that's kind of the style of jukebox most people are probably familiar with. Um, disc changers were similar devices to jukeboxes that were actually intended for home use. Basically, they were CD players that you could store multiple CDs into. And it would oh, man, I forgot about them. those. I was going to say, I actually had one as a kid, and it was the coolest thing on earth. I loved it. 
I think I, I think I inherited it from like my cousin, but it had this round tray that you would stack the CDs like vertically and uh, around the spindle, and I think it held like fifty of them, and oh, wow. you could just select from any one of those, and it would just grab it and start playing it. It was pretty crazy. So it was like exactly so home bo- or so ju- the the technology of jukeboxes eventually made their way to sort of fancy CD players in like the you know 80s and beyond. Uh, well, the ones I'm thinking of too were a lesser version of that, where it was basically like, oh, I have a home stereo, and the CD player can hold like five different discs, and you can yeah, switch yeah. between them, which I yeah not on the same level as what you were describing. Yeah, I mean, e- even, those lasted the- probably well into the 2000s. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, even like the home stereo setup, usually you could load up like four or five discs. Um, but yeah, exactly. Same same concept, just kind of evolved. So so yeah, but like like I said, most jukeboxes that people think of are like the ones from the fifties that were in like restaurants and bars and were more of like a social thing. Um, the funny thing is that although jukeboxes are mostly associated with like the nineteen fifties. The original concept was actually invented back in 1889, which is pretty crazy. Um, but wasn't that... Well, I guess we'll get into it. I was going to say, wasn't that before they even had any kind of records or anything? Or am I wrong? About uh, Maybe. Sort of, yeah. Um, so you're not you're not entirely wrong. Basically, like the phonograph invented by Edison was invented very shortly before this. So it was almost like within... Oh, a couple of years with the phonograph existing, someone found a way to monetize it. Um, ironically, it wasn't Edison, or maybe it was. Uh, kind of. That man loved to monetize everything. He did. He was the original subscription service. Um. So yeah, the the original concept for a sort of uh, pay for, I guess you could call it a. Not, they weren't really called jukeboxes back then. It was basically like a public phonograph that you put money into and mm. you could select from a certain number of, of possible songs <laughs> of wax cylinders pretty much um, that that original concept was invented by Lewis Glass and William S. Arnold um, they mm. called it the nickel in the slot phonograph uh, and it was invented in San Francisco um, the way that mm. they created this device it was actually it used an Edison uh, class M electric phonograph that they retrofitted with a device patented under the name quote coin actuated attachment for phonograph and the music of the phonograph could be heard through one of four quote listening tubes which basically looked like stethoscopes that you would put to your ears because oh wow they didn't have like good amplification back then even to, to have speakers in them um I don't know if you can see. Was this before the big like uh, horn thing? Oh no! The, the yeah, this was before the concept of of like the home phonograph that was actually invented a little bit later. In fact, I uh, see some of the patents that Lewis Glass filed actually spurred Edison to further perfect the phonograph and actually make what he considered a home version. Because original photographs, okay. I think, were meant for, like, establishments because they were much larger. They were like a cabinet. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. Uh, yeah, Peter, I don't... Obviously, the view, the listeners aren't going to be able to see this, but I don't know if you could see the patent photo that I attached in our script. You can kind of see 
there's like four little hoses coming out of this device and basically you know you could choose from one of four preloaded songs uh in that device and listen to it by paying a nickel i guess so it's pretty it's creepy in the in the way that i think like 1800s like dental equipment is really creepy (laughs) um for some reason it kind of reminds me of that um so you said they had multiple sets of stethoscopes i guess yeah it's, uh, is that so multiple people could listen at once or is that yeah i think you, that was yeah. i think that was the logic was like you know if you pay a nickel maybe i don't know i don't know if you have to pay per person i don't really know how that part of it worked but mm. the idea was that like multiple people could listen to the music track that was selected but like i said because speaker amplification wasn't a thing you basically had to listen to it through rudimentary earphones which were basically just tubes Huh. Wow. Uh, yeah, I've never heard of this. Yeah. So, so yeah, basically he took an Edison phonograph, retrofitted it so that you had to pay to listen to it, added some tubes so that multiple people could listen to it, and monetized the hell out of it. Um, and so he built these music players, and he actually installed a handful of them at the, I'm going to butcher the name of this, Palais Royale Saloon. In San Francisco, he installed them around November of 1889, um, hmm. and they ended up being wildly successful for him at a uh, at a uh, convention, sort of convention for uh, phonograph companies at the time. It was called the quote first annual convention of local phonograph companies of the United States. The first um, Edison Con. Yeah, it was Ed. It was EdCon. <laughs> um. Uh, it, it was held uh, in Chicago at the Auditorium Hotel in 1890, and he mentioned at this convention that the first 15 machines that he had built and installed in various places in San Francisco ended up bringing him in uh, about $4,000 uh, from December of 1889 to May of 1890, so roughly six months' time. He made about $4,000. I mean, back then, that was a lot of money. Yeah, I I went and did the uh, inflation math. $4,000 back then is about $130,000 today. Wow. That's uh pretty good. So, yeah, he made a he made a ton of money off this device, which obviously spurred him to, you know, further uh perfect it. So So yeah, basically that was the first sort of commercial um jukebox. And so as time went on, these devices, you know, got refined more and more by other inventors. Um, in eight, in 1906, um, a, a man named John Gable invented what he called the automatic entertainer, which provided a choice of 24 different selections of music. So it expanded on the concept of you can choose from different tracks as opposed to being stuck with either one or, or a small amount. Um, and so... Basically, from like you know the eight, late eighteen hundreds through the nineteen twenties, the the use of electricity like absolutely exploded. No pun intended. Uh, in the U.S., so because it became so readily available, phonograph technology really took off, and by the nineteen thirties, people kind of considered that actually the golden age of of like phonographs and jukeboxes, even though we kind of associate it more with the fifties. So. So yeah, in 1906, John Gable basically created, uh, expanded on the the track selection of these rudimentary 
jukeboxes. And then by 1918, um, a guy named Hobert, Hobert C. Niblack, all these guys have like such old timey names. Um, he created a way for the machine to automatically change records, leading to a new type of jukebox that was released by the uh, Automated Musical Instrument Company, or they called themselves AMI. So basically, by this time, it was becoming more and more commercialized, more standardized. So More you, automated? Yeah, more automated. Um, and then along came this guy named Justice P. Seberg, who contributed to the sort of evolution of the jukebox by inventing a, uh, a record player that was coin-operated, as well as a version that could play up to 10 different turntables. So oh, wow. as rec- you know, records became more and more prolific, um, they started kind of incorporating records into the jukeboxes. The original jukeboxes, probably, you're, you're probably not far off where they played wax cylinders as opposed to actual <laughs> 78 records. Um, but yeah, remember that name, Justice P. Seberg, because he ended up becoming like the Cadillac of jukeboxes guy. Oh, okay. So, so yeah, that's basically kind of like the early history of jukeboxes. You know, obviously invented in 1889, then with the, over the next 20 to 30 years, like more sort of automation was added to them to make them a bit more, you know, easy for the consumer to use. So, um, the funny thing is, during this entire time, they never, they didn't call them jukeboxes. They called them, like, you know, coin-operated phonographs or, you know, other old-timey terms. Um, it, mm. it, it wasn't actually until about 1940 that the word jukebox actually kind of started to come into use. And it actually came... From the it was it was it came from the word juke joint, which was a term for a music establishment uh, in the forties, um, and the word that term juke comes from a uh, this is kind of hard to explain. It comes from a Gullah word, which is the word juke, which means disorderly, rowdy, or wicked. Now I had to look up what the heck Gullah was because I have no idea. Um, mm-hmm. And Gullah are actually an African-American ethnic group that predominantly lived in the in the lower southern U.S. in uh, states like Georgia, Florida, South Carolina, North Carolina. Um, and they basically, you know, develop, had, the, had their own sort of lexicon, so to speak, that evolved over time. Um, but, yeah, that term juke came from them, and then it kind of spread to, me, to mean kind of like... Uh, a music establishment where people would be rowdy and stuff, essentially. So, so a juke joint was like a music club. Yeah. And then a juke box was like a noise box. Was like the place, the thing that played music at the music club. Juke joint was really the first club, if you think about it. Mm. A place for young people to come and dance and listen to music. So, so yeah, this was around 1940. Um, obviously during World War II, uh, jukebox, the evolution of jukeboxes kind of stagnated because so much of the U.S. Uh, infrastructure was going towards the war. In fact, I, I think was going to say of, the jukeboxes probably had to be dismantled for uh, war materials. I was going to say, I, I think a lot of the companies actually just straight up stopped making them and started making military stuff instead. Hmm. Um, but that probably um, makes more sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
But after the war, the jukebox manufacturing did end up continuing with uh, the Seberg Corporation, which was the corporation named after Justice P. Seberg. Um, hey, he was the Cadillac of uh, fucking jukebox guy. What did you call it? <laughs> I, basically, that's a, it was the Cadillac of jukeboxes. Um, I forgot where I was. Um, yeah, the Seberg Corporation uh, actually introduced the vinyl, the f- first vinyl record jukebox that used 45 uh, RPM records, which I know we've talked about them before. They're the small little single discs that only had like one song on each side. Uh, this ended up becoming kind of the go-to for jukeboxes because even though it was a single song, you could store a lot more of them on a jukebox and therefore have a larger variety of artists because let's say you know let's say you have like you know a dozen different artists it's easier to have like us like their their top hits from each one of them to have than to have a full album well right Um, and most people aren't gonna choose the 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 non-hits anyway yeah exactly exactly so yeah um so yeah basically by this point, you know, in the 40s, they're called jukeboxes, they're playing 45s, and then basically through the 50s and 60s, um, jukeboxes are just kind of a mainstay in American restaurants and bars and in dance halls or whatever you want to call them back then. Juke joints. Um, one, actually, yeah. one more quick comment I want to make. Um, on the note of, like, putting top hits and stuff on it, I can imagine mm-hmm. that, like, as jukeboxes were meant to make money obviously you would want to put the most popular songs possible on there so that people would put money in to listen to it. Yeah, exactly. Or, I mean, I mean, you could probably put some classics in there too. Ones that obviously had some kind of, you know, lasting popularity, any really anything that people would want to listen to, you know, maybe depending on the setting, um, but probably mostly I would imagine like upbeat dance songs. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, Owners of these jukeboxes, usually they were owned by the establishment themselves, you know, they want to generate as much revenue as they can from them, so they're going to put in stuff that people want to listen to. It's like, no, yeah. I'm only going to play polka. Um, so, so uh, yeah, jukeboxes basically were perfected at this point. Apparently in the 40s and 50s, um, another aspect of the jukebox that became really popularized, and I didn't really know about this was these things called wall boxes which were a a sort of it was it was a separate part of the jukebox installation that basically acted as a rudimentary remote control so that patrons could select tunes for the jukebox to play from their table or their booth in the restaurant so they didn't have to walk over to the jukebox oh, wow. to have it play music so interesting yeah so it like allowed different page i don't 100 percent know how that would work with like multiple like if you're at a restaurant if you have multiple sets of tables yeah. and you have multiple people selecting music if it would just it would probably like queue it up in some way right i, I um, would think so yeah i was wondering that too but i guess because otherwise but, you, it's just eating people's money and obviously that's not good for business yeah yeah so yeah these things called wall boxes were installed in a lot of uh, restaurants and bars that allowed people to basically select music for the jukebox to play from the comfort of their table. Um, and Seberg, the Seberg company, obviously, um, uh, 
introduced uh, some of these in the late 40s. They had a model called the 3W1. I sent you a, or I, and I added a link here. You can kind of see what it looked like. Uh, it's basically just like a miniaturized version of like the song selector on a jukebox, but would allow you to do it from, you know, your table. Oh, this is one that was on the table or whatever? Or in long yeah, long. yeah. Interesting. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, those would get paired with the jukebox as, like I said, as a way to kind of pick stuff at your leisure, which made them even more kind of universal and uh, profitable for, you know, establishment owners. Mechanically, I'm really curious how those worked. Yeah, I didn't. Like, I how didn't do you, find... when they make a selection, how does that signal get? conveyed to it, the thing it may i mean it may have used rudimentary like radio signal technology i'm sure that was already a thing by the late 40s right um and really i mean if it's like if it's if it's something as simple as like selecting like you know a number and a letter it may be like a binary code just a simple binary code type thing where it yeah knows, i guess so. you know sends a signal that's specific to that to that letter and number um so, so yeah, that was another aspect of jukeboxes that I didn't even actually know about was, you know, the kind of remote control aspect of them. Yeah. Uh, so, like I was saying before, jukeboxes were the most popular between the 1940s through the mid-1960s, but especially in the 1950s. That was, like, their golden era of, like, these sort of, you know, what we consider a jukebox. Um, hmm. And it's, they were so, I guess, uh, prolific in the U.S. that it says, <clears throat> by the middle of the 1940s, three quarters of all records produced in America went into jukeboxes, Jeez. which is pretty crazy. Now, I guess you could say, I know we've talked about the history of records and music media before. Um, I, I don't remember the exact time frame, but it obviously people at home had records and record players at that point but that probably wasn't in the mid 40s i'm guessing it wasn't as widespread as it became in the decades after that yeah i would imagine you know I mean? by the mid 40s it's probably about 20 percent of households had like an in-home record player and then by the 50s it was probably you know 60 to 70 percent yeah because um, everybody had that post-war money exactly po post-war boom we destroyed all the other economies. Now we have all the money. Uh, so yeah, essentially, record record the the record usage in jukebox was so big that like most records weren't even going to consumers; they were going to these sort of public uh, jukeboxes, which is pretty crazy. In fact, yeah. it became jukeboxes became such a big deal that. Uh, Billboard, which I know we've talked about before too, that the ones that do like the top music or whatever, mm -hmm. um, they actually published a record chart measuring jukebox play during the 1950s, which briefly ended up becoming a component of how they calculated the top 100 or the hot 100. Uh, huh. Because it was like a good sort of metric to judge the popularity of music by back then. So uh, I, I suppose in order for them to measure that, there must have been some way in the machine that was keeping track of, like, by the, this yeah. song got played this many times and all that. By by the 50s, I think they had sort of catalogable, like, in, 
these catalog devices that would tell the owner from like a metric standpoint how much certain records got played um, yeah. so that they could kind of you know calibrate like oh no one's listening to these let's get rid of these and try other ones and stuff so it's yeah from a from a money-making standpoint it, it after a while i'm sure these things provided some sort of data back for the you know owner of them uh yeah I was going to say, I'm pretty sure even even nowadays, like, vending machines do that for people that, like, own vending machines. Like, there's ways for mm-hmm. them to kind of tell, like, how much different uh, of different items that people are ordering or whatever in the vending machines. Or um, they can just look and see, like, oh, every this is still fully stocked except all the Pop-Tarts are gone. Those must be popular. The, probably, yeah. That's that's, I, that's probably not how they do it. <laughs> I'm, no, I'm sure that is some some aspect of it they're like oh the pop tarts are gone i need more pop tarts i've never actually seen a vending machine that serves pop tarts but that would be amazing oh i have they're like individually wrapped ones or what? like the, in i've never the seen this or where, where, huh. where is this i don't know i'm trying to think of the last time i've even seen a vending machine on the- <laughs> <laughs> um yeah vending machines are kind of dead here are in America, at least, I'm sure. I, I know there's like a billion of them in Japan still, but I don't think they are as widespread as they used to be in America. Uh, I forgot where I was. Uh, so, so yeah, by, basically by the late 50s, Billboard was using jukebox data as a metric to judge the popularity of music. However, um, that was kind of short-lived by like the early 60s, basically, Billboard stopped using that publishing. Uh, they stopped publishing like jukebox data as a separate chart, and they stopped collecting play data from the jukeboxes because, with the advent of uh, portable radios, and then eventually the advent of cassettes and eight tracks and whatnot, more uh, portable ways to play music, jukeboxes basically fell out of favor. Mm, right. So. So yeah, that's that's really kind of why why they went away was basically just jukeboxes at the time were like the only way to play music, you know, in a public space outside of your home or to, mm-hmm. it was the only way to really enjoy music in a public space in that way. But then once music became portable where you could play it yourself, you know, on like I said a cassette tape or even just, you know, the old portable radios that people had um, they kind of fell out of favor because people are like, why am I going to pay a machine to listen to music when I can, you know, just do it myself and have all the music I want in my own collection. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's basically jukeboxes had like a lifespan of, I mean, of true popularity from like probably like the thirties the through like the mid sixties. So that's a pretty, that's a pretty long chunk of time. Mm-hmm. That's uh, cool. Yeah. However, the um, the evolution of the jukebox actually isn't completely dead. Um, there's actually new types of digital jukeboxes that are starting to pop up at bars and establishments. Um, there's a company called Touch Tunes that I think is one of the more popular that are being installed in, in bars and stuff. Uh, oh, is this the one that we saw um, a while back? I don't know if I had written this down. Um, the, the history of jukeboxes thing actually spawned from when I, this was probably like a, over a year ago now, 
when you and I went to Pizza Port in Carlsbad. Oh, yeah. And there was, I think it was one of these or a very similar one. Oh, yeah. And I, I completely was, forgot about that. And then I was like, oh, I didn't know those existed. We should do a history of jukeboxes. Um, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Flashback. And I, I forgot <laughs> that that was like the inspiration for this episode. Oh, but yeah, the, so this is like basically a jukebox, but it's like basically a Spotify jukebox or something. Yeah. Essentially, it's like a digital jukebox. Which I remember it I mean, saying you could pick from like thousands of songs or whatever. I was gonna say, I, if it doesn't already have some sort of like internet connectivity, I'm sure it has like a large digital library to pull from. But yeah, essentially, I, I can describe it for the listeners. It's basically a big touchscreen jukebox that is basically like a giant iPad that you play Spotify songs from, and that you have to pay <laughs> to do it. And you can probably uh, like pick the song remotely from your phone and all that too. Yeah, like I, I'm sure. I'm sure there's like an app involved because there's an app for everything now. Um, God, I sound like an old man. Um, but yeah, it's basically like the digital sort of touchscreen evolution of the jukebox for millennials and Gen Z, I guess. Um, and yeah, P- Peter's right. They they had one at Pizza Port, so obviously they can put them in like restaurants and bars and stuff like you know they used to back in the day. But, uh, yeah, yeah, it's just, it's, it's kind of fun that like the concept of that is still around of like people wanting to choose music that's played in the establishment, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, It's, it's an, it's an interesting way to bring the concept back in a modern way. Um, and I mean, when we were there, I wasn't really paying attention. I don't think anyone was using it, but that's not to say that they're not popular i would think that there wouldn't be as much demand for it in general these days as there would have been like in the 50s oh yeah you know maybe people just aren't as focused on oh i'm at this bar i want to listen to this specific song i'm sure there's some demand for it obviously but i don't know that's a that's a good point and that may be a topic for like a more philosophical topic for another episode but i feel like music as like a sort of social uh what's the word music as the driver for like a social gathering i think is a lot less in modern times than it probably was back then yeah Uh, i mean granted you and i don't go to the club but i i think we've and on to some extent i know we've talked about like i don't know if we did the history of stereos or something we maybe did something like that a number of years ago but i know that like from the 80s onward the trend of I'm going to play my music in the home out loud for everyone turned into the Walkman where now everyone's listening to their own music, like on a more personal level. And I feel like that probably helped. I mean, like jukeboxes were kind of already out of popularity by that point, but I imagine that kind of cemented the whole like music, not being as much of a social thing as much. Yeah. As it music. That's that's a good point. Music kind of went from a something you do in a social gathering to something you do personally alone. Um, and not only that, I mean, we've talked about this before. You know, back in the fifties, whatever was popular was what everybody listened to. But now in modern times, there's so many different 
genres of music that like and not any one person's taste doesn't match ever anyone else's there's well, still you know hot 100 radio channels and stuff but well yeah and we have we have access to basically more or less all music that's ever been created which obviously was not a thing back then either so the more choice you have plus just the increase of how much there is um yeah yeah if you think about it spotify is basically just a personal digital jukebox especially uh, if you yeah. have the paid version exactly do you th- do you think if this is kind of funny? Do you think if jukeboxes had stayed around for a little bit longer, they would eventually start putting like commercials in between, <laughs> in between the song song selections to try to get ad revenue? Maybe Edison did that. Yeah, um, Edison was the first commercial. Um, on the note of all that stuff we've been saying, um, I am kind of curious about trends in radio listening overall, like. Do people listen to radio as much now as they did 30 years ago? I'm guessing not. Because that could be an interesting topic. I guess you you could compare that to, like, the fall of uh, cable television, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. I was all gone to streaming. Yeah, a lot of... A lot of... The internet, especially for our generation and, and beyond, I think, has kind of really put a big dent in just traditional broadcasting whether it's radio tv what have you yeah uh i mean i i know for a fact uh, the handful of my friends that still have cable they literally are like the only reason i have this is for sports because for some reason sports haven't gotten on the hey we can charge people more if we if we like create a streaming service for them to watch their stuff than if we make them get cable well, like my family uh, used the ESPN one exists. I don't remember what it's called. Yeah, the, it's like Hulu plus ESPN plus Disney or whatever, uh, something like that. Because Disney owns ESPN now. <laughs> I mean, they own pretty much everything, I guess. Um, news to you, listeners: Funk Radio is now owned by the Disney Corporation. <laughs> I wish I could convince them to pay me. Uh, it's like now brought to you by the mandalorian season three is out now (laughs) um yeah no this is an interesting history though i not only did it start a lot earlier than i would have guessed but also it's interesting to see that at least in this one touch tunes way it is still alive today in a way that i wouldn't really have expected either yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Touch Tunes ones, I was just kind of poking through their website. It it definitely seems like they're really, really leaning hard into the sort of like, this is a good thing for like establishments to have. Uh, whether it be like ch- like bar, like chains that have a bar or like the pizza port place we were at. And breweries so, and stuff, yeah. I'm sure I'm sure probably all over places like Vegas there's things like these so you can like you know listen to music while you play the slots or something God knows mm-hmm. um so so yeah there is still some want I guess for a sort of customizable public music playing device but obviously it's not nearly as popular as it was you know 70 years ago 
but yeah, no, I, I thought the I thought the history of this was really interesting. It went back way earlier than I expected. Uh, and basically the whole idea stemmed from like, hey, there's this thing. How do I charge people money for it? <laughs> Welcome to America. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's like, hey, this thing is popular. I can make money off this. I'm trying to remember um, on the note of doing like history episodes. I'm trying to remember what the thing was called. We did an episode. I'm kind of. I'm going to go on to get your funk.com listeners and try to use the search bar to find what I'm trying to remember. There was one that was basically like a predecessor to streaming music, but they like played it through your telephone and it was like the 1920s oh, or something. Yeah. And I'm having trouble yeah. remembering what that was called. I don't remember either, but yeah, I remember it was like, it was like literally like a, a, a streaming music phone service. And yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that was, that was a really cool one too. Yeah, um, it's 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 really interesting to realize that like a lot of our modern what's the word? Shits. Things that we have of modern yes. Things that we have that are we consider a modern convenience are really like the predecessors of things like that people came up with a hundred years ago but yeah. just couldn't fully realize. Well, so, and I guess similar yeah. to that, listeners, um just like technology staying the same for the last hundred years uh share has basically looked the same in that same time frame um if you have something to say about that you can tell us on facebook at facebook.com slash get your funk yeah um or if you want to find other episodes go to get your funk.com sorry kyle please continue no you're fine uh yeah you can listen to us there you can listen to us on spotify or wherever you're listening to us now uh, Maybe on Touchtoons in the future. <laughs> oh God, I hope not. <laughs> Just imagine being at the bar and someone's like, "I'm going to play funk radio," and then someone else smashes the the Touchtoons to stop it. Um, yeah, this has been your Juke Joint Purveyor, Kyle, and this has been your Cadillac Man, Peter. Thanks for listening. You have been the listeners. Bye. We love you. Ha <laughs> ha.